Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Good morning, everybody. Y'all ready to go this morning? Good, open up your Bible with me, Luke chapter 14, that's where we're going to be, Luke chapter 14. Um, Just want to let you know that um, I sent out an email on Friday and said, gave an invitation to my prayer partners and said, hey, if you want to join us, uh, you can join us on Saturday mornings at 8.30 for prayer. So a few of us gathered here in the auditorium yesterday, 8.30, and we prayed. And uh, it was just really nice to have a time of prayer and out of that, I believe we're going to do it every week. So if you're interested in joining, Saturday mornings, 8.30, I think we're going to hold it up in the chapel because they're doing that evil Christmas practice in here. Evil, you have to say evil in Christmas if it's October. The two have to go hand in hand, right? So no, they're doing evil, uh, evil Christmas, but they're doing Christmas practice in here. So they're working on our Christmas drama. It's cool, actually, they're, they're doing that. So we're going to be up in the chapel on Saturday mornings at 8.30 if you want to join us for a time of prayer. All right, so uh, I found this this week, and instead of me telling the joke, I thought, do you see the minnow fin? Yes, I see a minnow fin. The more you groan, the more I like it, just so you know. So if you don't like the style of joke I tell, stop groaning, because it makes me me happy. (laughs) Groans, it, it makes me think I'm a dad joke. All right. So this sermon series has been about party. We've been talking for a while about party. Um, And the reason I'm doing this is because I've been saying for a while we need a theology of party in our world. Um, I think the word party has been captured by a certain segment of our culture and they have made partying seem like it is something that is always sinful and wrong and bad. But actually, parties are God's idea. God is a God of fun and he wants us to be a people of fun. And I think he wants us to enjoy life and he made... He made our love and our desire to be with people and do fun things, and he made that and put it in us. So um, what the world has done is they've taken entertainment and TV and movies and amusement parks and sports, and they've made that what our party is. But I think we need a different party. I think we need a party that actually builds the soul of humanity when we celebrate together. Uh, I, I want to say that again. I think we need a party that's, that builds the soul of humanity when we celebrate together. I believe that's what God wants a party to be. So for that to happen, we ought to keep etiquette because if etiquette is broken, we're not building one another in those moments we're tearing each other down. Let me just give you 10 rules of etiquette for a party. All right, can we do that? Y'all, y'all ready? Number one, remember to RSVP. If they ask you to respond, to tell you you're coming, well then respond and tell them you're coming. If you can't make it, tell them you can't. That way they know how much food to buy and things to prepare, right? Second, bring something with you. Um, Bring food, a gift. I don't know, if you're going to a party and it's a Super Bowl party or something like that, at least take a bag of chips, right? Don't show up empty-handed. Second, or the third, be punctual, but don't be early. Listen, if you're throwing a party and you got 20, 25 people coming over to your house and somebody shows up 35 minutes early, 
while you're in the middle of prepping. Anybody ever have that happen to you? It is incredibly uncomfortable. Don't be early to a party. Show up on time or three to five minutes late. Don't be more than five minutes late because when you're late, anyway. You know what being late says? Do y'all know what being late says? Being late says I'm more important than everybody else. I was actually doing a wedding one time. I was doing a wedding. And right before the, the bridesmaids had walked in the back door and right before the bride walked in the back door, some person came through the back door looking for a seat between the bridesmaids and the bride. It literally happened, people. Do not be that person. As a matter of fact, service, I don't, I don't know if you realize this or not, everyone, but service starts at nine. There were 14 people in here at nine o'clock when I talked to them from Psalm 2. And I talked about how God is greater, right? Was that worth being here for? That's good. That's scripture. We're worth being here for. You should be here on 9 and 11 is when services start. <laughs> Dress appropriately. Come on. Has anybody ever done this other than me? It was a suit and tie party, and I showed up in jeans and a polo. Anybody ever had that happen? You want to find a corner and hide in it. Am I correct? Dress appropriately, right? Don't wear a suit and tie. Well, you know, you can always overdress, but you can never underdress. You can wear a suit and tie to a swim party, but you can't wear swimming trucks to a suit and tie party, right? Um, how about this? Ask if you're going to bring somebody with you. You're at one, ask, all right? It may not be okay, ask, you know? Oh, you want to bring your girlfriend? That's my boyfriend's ex-girlfriend. Not a good idea. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Number six, engage in table talk. Talk to people. Talk to people. Oh, some of you don't know how to make conversation. I'm going to tell you really quickly how to, how to have conversation with people. You ready for this? Ask questions about them. Do you know everybody's favorite subject in the entire world? Themselves. So if you don't have anything to say, what do you do? You ask them a question. You want to take a bite of food? Ask them a question, let them answer it, and then you shove a bite of food in your mouth. Come on, this is worth coming to church for this morning right here. All right? Number seven, be where you're at. You notice I do not have my phone with me when I come to the pulpit. You know why I don't have my phone with me? Because I don't want to get a text and it buzz me and me think those endorphins rush through my brain. How many of you seen the social dilemma? Anybody seen that yet? Oh, you got to watch it. Come on, people. Come on. Watch the social dilemma. No, no. Watch it. I know you hear me say, when was the last time I told you to watch a movie? Last Sunday when I told you to watch Social Dilemma and you still haven't done it. So here's what happens. You're being trained to respond. You're like Pavlog's dogs. I watch. Some of you are engaging the message. You get a text and all of a sudden. And worse than that, if you have notifications for Messenger or Facebook or Instagram, if you have notifications for those on your phone, turn them off all the time. Never again. Anyway, sorry. Because you know what's, what's really bad? You go to a party to talk to somebody and what are they doing? 
All right. Number eight, offer to clean up before you leave. Come on. Help, right? Help. One of the things I love about Harvest Ridge is when we throw like our Christmas party and it's a big deal and we got hundreds of things to do. And I'll be like, can you guys help? And I look up and everybody's already working. So you, I know you guys are awesome. So how about this one? Number nine, say Thank you. What an amazing thought. Somebody opened up their space, their time, their place for you. At least you can do it. Say thanks. And then last of all, number 10, exit graciously. So in other words, exit. <laughs> Don't stay forever. There is a, come on, even leftovers have a time limit. Am I correct? You have an expiration date, right? Now, these are good things for you to learn about a party. And, and if you've ever broken any of these, you know how uncomfortable it can be. And what's worse yet is if you have had them broken against you, you know how uncomfortable it can be. So there is etiquette around what you do and don't do at parties. So what do you think we're going to talk about today? Etiquette at parties. Jesus established four rules of etiquette from this passage in Luke. It's Luke chapter 14. I think I said Mark 14. It's Luke 14. So would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? And uh, I just picked one verse out of it because I'm going to actually walk through the entire verses 1 through 24. But this is going to be our verse for today because this is probably my favorite verse in all of them. Could we read it out loud together? I think you can handle this, right? Etiquette at church parties. When he asks you to read out loud, just read out loud. And if you can't do it, then mumble. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. Go out to the highways and country roads and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. You know what God hates? An empty party. God died in the form of, in the person of Jesus Christ. God became man and died in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could have a party with him for eternity. There's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to last and going to be, come on, supper. I, I bet you there will probably be some lobster in heaven. Yeah. All right, there might even be filet mignon wrapped in those little bacons. <laughs> marriage supper of the Lamb, that's what I'm thinking, right? Anybody with me? Filet mignon wrapped in bacon for eternity. Can somebody say, I, I am RSVPing right now? <laughs> Yes. All right. So God, when God throws a party, he wants people to come in. He wants people to attend his party. So what this, the, the number one etiquette is, is that you need to understand that God has invited you into his party for eternity. So Father, I pray that today that we would listen to the etiquette that Jesus teaches us about parties and that we would respond appropriately. And the first thing, the most important thing we would do is we would RSVP and say, please include me. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Air high five somebody before you're seated. Give them an air high five. Let them know you're there. Online, air high five to you. Good to see you. All right. So four things about party etiquette. Number one, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Now, if you're ever in question what to do at a party, the right thing is always the best thing. If you're ever in question what to do when you're not at a party, the right thing is always the best thing, right? Come on, doing the right thing is not easy. I had a moment this past week where I got offended and upset. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. Somebody came at me. You gonna come at me, bro? Let's go. Right? 
That, that's how I feel. I, I had a moment this week when it happened. And you know what I did? The right thing. I did. I called and I worked through the issue and was honest about my issue and worked through it and talked to them. And you know what? It turned out good. Because doing the right thing is the right thing. The wrong thing will never make your life better. But it takes guts. A ton of guts and humility, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, to do the right thing. So, let's talk about Jesus doing the right thing at this party. The Pharisees were looking for something about Jesus to discredit, discredit him. So after church, they all went to dinner. Anybody ever been to dinner after church? I used to go to dinner with people after church. I do not do it anymore. Let me tell you why I don't go to dinner after church with people anymore. Let me, let me tell you why. A couple years ago, I went to dinner with this couple after church, thinking that we would just have a pleasant conversation, get to know them, only to have them the entire time pick on me and try to pick a fight with me. Now, I'm going to tell you, after I preached twice, I've been up all morning long. I've been praying, thinking about this morning. Come on, I woke up at 4.30. That's when I started waking up this morning. I am not in a mood to be picked on after preaching twice on a Sunday morning. If you want to fight, just come to me after a church and pick a fight with me because you'll probably get it because my flesh will be right up at the top. So I'm sitting at dinner with this person and they're just like, bam, 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 bam. come on, anybody ever been at one of those meals? Have you ever been at one of those where the person invited to dinner was dinner? <laughs> and you know what I'm said? I said to myself, I won't do it again. I won't put myself in that position because it took all the self-control I had just to not reach over there, grab him by the collar. Wah, 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 wah. And that would have not been doing the right thing, correct? All right. So what does Jesus do? He's after church one Sabbath. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath. When Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, so Jesus had already been teaching at the synagogue probably during the Sabbath. And he was eating at the house of a prominent Pharisee. So this was a big deal guy. Right? This is a guy that he was, had a lot of power. And he was being what? Come on, he was being what? He was carefully watched. So they, were, they didn't invite him to dinner to talk to him. They invited him to dinner to, to get some dirt on him. So there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. They called, it, um, in they called it dropsy, but it's endema is what it is. And we'll talk about that in a second. So Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of law. He looked at the guy and he said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, I, this is later in my notes. I'm just going to share it now, all right? So, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Here's what went on. Back years and years and years before, God had given this command about Sabbath. And the command was, on the Sabbath, you will do no regular work. Not do no work, you do no regular work. So, you just don't do the regular things. You don't go out and plow your fields. You don't do that kind of stuff. Well, what they had done, they had taken do no regular work, and they had turned it into a bunch of laws about how to keep the Sabbath or not to keep the Sabbath. And one of the laws was, is that if somebody's going to die, you can save their life. But if they're not going to die, you can't do anything to help them out. I'm just telling you, this was the laws they had made 
Notice the law needed more laws to determine what the law meant because when you make a law, you have to make more laws to protect the law, and then you make more laws to protect the laws that protect the law, and then you make more laws to protect the laws that protect the laws to protect the law. That's the reason God came in the form of human flesh and died on a cross to put an end to the law so that we could step into relationship with God. That's the reason parenting by laws don't work. That's the reason... Has any of you ever seen, driving down the road, and you see fines doubled in construction area? Anybody ever seen that? Because a speed limit doesn't meet a speed limit in a construction area. A speed limit has to be doubled up before you listen to it. Anybody paying attention here? See, we don't want to do the right thing. We want to see how far we can get to the wrong thing and still get by with it. That's our mentality. And, and if you're going to Jesus' party, you can't live your entire life seeing how close you can live to the wrong. Are, are y'all listening this morning? So to be a part of Jesus' party, you need to do the right thing. So Jesus looks at him and he says this. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, he knows what they're going to say. If they actually talk about it, they're going to say, well, you know, the law says this, but, you know, if we say that, you know, you can heal somebody if they're about to die. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, they, they, they knew that if they start talking this, he's going to like expose how stupid they are. Right? So they did the prudent thing. They just were silent. They gave him the silent treatment. By the way, the silent treatment is never prudent. Did you know that? If you're mad at somebody and they already know you're mad at them, why not talk about what you're mad at them about instead of sitting, looking at each other, going. Yeah. Anybody ever had that happen? No, don't, don't answer. She's sitting next to you. He's sitting next to you. What, what happens is this, is the silent treatment doesn't work. So they were silent. So what did Jesus do? Jesus reached down, took hold of the man, and he healed him. And he said, get up, go on home. Now, endema, dropsy, endema, it's a medical condition. What it does is, it, I almost showed you some pictures, but I didn't want to do that to you. But, but you've seen it happen. Somebody whose legs start to swell, and you know, their ankles should be this big around, but their ankles are this big around. Have you seen that? Have you ever seen anybody try to walk that has that? I mean, it's really difficult for them to walk. Can you imagine this guy walking in and he's struggling and, and uh, right, wrong, and different. He's just struggling to get to his place and he's walking into dinner and this conversation obviously happens before dinner because Jesus is going to talk about the picking of seats later and he's just sort of struggling in and he sits down when he sits there, you know, his big old bulging legs are sitting there like this big around and, and his ankles are this big around and you could press them and your finger would sink into his leg. And he looks at him and he says, this guy, he's not going to die, but he's not doing good. Can you imagine that? I mean, come on, the guy's wearing long robes so, it, so it'll cover. And every once in a while, the robe comes up and his leg is exposed. And he's embarrassed, right? Anybody ever have a flaw and your flaw gets seen? It's embarrassing, right? So the guy's embarrassed. He's at a party and Jesus says, hey, it may not be lawful to heal the guy, but you know what? 
I have compassion on this guy and I want to do the right thing towards him. And he heals him and sends him home. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Come on, come on. Can you use your brain with me for a second? Dude sitting there, his legs about this big around. Jesus said, just get up and go home. And all of a sudden the leg goes, whoop. Wouldn't that have been cool? Where'd all that fluid go? He, I know what happened. The guy all of a sudden said, I got to pee. <laughs> Anyway, and, and, and then he asked him a question. He asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on a Sabbath day, now they're probably not going to die if they fall into this well. They're going to be at the bottom, right? So they're not going to die. So if they fall into the well, we can leave them there? They'll, they'll still be alive tomorrow morning. We'll just go dig our kid out tomorrow. So what Jesus is doing is he's doing what, the reason they kept silent is they knew if they argued with him, he was going to make them look like fools because when you make rules on top of rules on top of rules on top of rules, you're always going to wind up being foolish because then it's about the rules, not about the heart of the rule. So what is the heart of the rule regarding the Sabbath? Wow. Why don't we go to scripture and read it? So let's go over to Exodus chapter 20, verse 10. What does it say in Exodus 20, 10? The seventh day is a Sabbath to whom? The Lord. What's the purpose of the Sabbath? It, it's to, for you to focus on God. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. What, what were they doing though? The more rules they built, the more they were making Sabbath focus on them. And all the rules had taken away from the heart and the heart is that you would seek God, that you would turn your heart toward God. You wouldn't think about work today. You wouldn't think about all the normal stuff you do today. But today would be a day in your heart that you would turn your thoughts toward heaven and you would think about God. And that's the reason God gave us a Sabbath is not to make us a bunch of rules, but to get our hearts aligned in the right place. Because occasionally, just occasionally, just, just, just occasionally, you need to lay aside all the things that worry you and trust in the one who gives you life. Now, I don't want to do the right thing. Maybe you do. Maybe you always want to do the right thing, but I don't want to. It takes a lot of effort for me to do the right thing. One day I was driving down the road. I, I was in a hurry, believe that or not. Anybody ever be in a hurry? I was in a hurry and I didn't have a lot of time and I was in a hurry. So I'm driving to Home Depot over in North Olmstead. And I cut through the back parking lot and all that kind of stuff. And as I'm cutting through, and, and I'm right there by that, that uh, oh, that Chinese place that, uh, that, that has the good food there. It's Chinese buffet, anyway. So anyway, I'm cutting through, and I'm about to hang a right there. And I glance out of the corner of my eye, this elderly lady leaning up against her car right there doing like this to me with her hand. And I just took the corner, and I went around. Y'all ever done anything like that? <laughs> praise him, praise him. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I did. I, I went around the corner and I was like, you know, if my mom were standing there doing that, I would want somebody to help her. So I was like, you know, anybody ever do the right thing for the wrong reason? And I'm like, and I turn around and I whip back in and I pulled in beside her. Uh, well, actually, I pulled in apart from her and I walked over to her. I said, can I help you? And she said, yeah, I, I'm, I can't get my car to start. It was really simple. I just went in and, you know, she had the auto theft, the theft thing happened. So I wiggled her key and wiggled the steering wheel. The car started to ride back up. I said, there, you can, you can go if you need to. I, I fixed it. It took me 10 seconds. 
10 seconds. And I didn't want to do it. Do you know I left that day though? That's still one of the banner days I remember well. I actually felt good for the first time in a long time because I did the right thing even though I didn't have time and didn't want to. When was the last time you didn't want to do the right thing, you did it anyway? All right, I got to move along. Number two, be humble. Second rule of party etiquette is be humble. Is there anything more embarrassing and humiliating than being publicly rebuked? When I was a teenager, I came home from Bible college and I had a Striper album with me. And I was listening to Striper and I gave it to, if you young people don't know who Striper is, may God have mercy on your soul. Anyway, 80s rock and roll. And I, I had seen them in concert and it was a lot of fun. So I had this album and I, I gave it to one of the kids in our church and the pastor of the church heard it because music somehow is always more holy if you sing like this than if you, anyway. So the very next Sunday there was a sermon preached about me and did everything but call me by name. You know, this teenager in our church is running our church and giving the devil's music wrapped in Christian garb. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there the whole time going, can I just find some place I can hide? Anybody ever been publicly rebuked or embarrassed? It's really, really, really hard, right? You know, I learned a lesson that day. And the lesson I learned is try not to expose yourself to public shaming ever again. Isn't that a good lesson? Yeah. All right, so let's look at this. Verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Whenever, uh, oh, by the way, Striper has a new album out. It's pretty good. You should listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, I couldn't resist that. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will invite both of you uh, who invited both of you will come and say to you, hey, give this person your seat, and then you uh, will be humiliated, and you will have to take the least important place. <laughs> but when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll embarrass somebody else, not you. <laughs> he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, Jesus is telling a bit of funny story here. All right, so let me tell it in modern-day America, all right? Joe's invited to a wedding. At the, he shows up at the dinner following the wedding, and uh, he doesn't check the little table where you check in at the reception to know where his table is. So he just sort of meanders around. He notices all the tables are full, and he sees an empty table up here. So he goes up there and just sits down at the table. And he's sitting there, you know, and uh, sitting there a couple of minutes, and they introduce the wedding party. And the wedding party comes in, you know, doing their dance and all that stuff. And they walk up, and they look right there as every eye is looking. Joe is sitting at the best man's seat. <laughs> How do you think Joe is going to feel over the next couple of moments as every eye in the entire room says, you're at the best man's seat. You don't belong here. Get out. How's Joe going to feel? It, when you exalt yourself, when you put yourself in a position like that, you will be humbled. You will be humbled. It's not an if, you will be. And, and Jesus says, here's his takeaway from it. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the mentality of our culture is that ego is better than everything else. The, we, we live in a culture where everybody roots for the winner and second place just first loser. And that's a quote from Talladega Nights. I'm sorry. 
If you hang around, you will hear several of those quotes over the years. Um, you know, if you have a lot of followers, you must be important, all this kind of stuff. But the gospel teaches us something different. This is what it teaches us. God, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, God opposes the proud. Do you want to you know how God will fight against you? Be arrogant. You want to know how God will fight against you? Be an exalting of yourself person. God will fight against you. You will lose. Oh, you may win a game or two, but you will lose. Do you know why you will lose? Because God literally opposes the proud, but he shows his favor to the humble. Therefore, we're told, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may, that who may? He may lift you up in the right time. Now, if I lift me up, somebody is always better than me, right? Anybody ever play sports and you think you're pretty good? You play sports, you think you're pretty good, and then you play against somebody better than you, right? Anybody ever think, you know, like you play chess or something and you think you're pretty good and then you play somebody that's actually smarter than you or been more practiced than you? Anything, anything you do in life, there's always somebody better than you. Did you know that? And eventually you will get older and everybody will be better than you. No, it's true. Eventually, you're going to get to the point that literally every person alive will be better than you. Because we all die, right? It's true. That's humility. We need to understand that God opposes the proud. But do you know what he does? He lifts up that he may lift you up in due season. When God lifts you up, he doesn't lift you up to knock you down. He lifts you up to keep you there. When you lift yourself up, you will get knocked off the totem pole. Anybody ever play king of the mountain? You can be king, but then when you get tired, somebody's going to be king. God, when he exalts you, he doesn't exalt you so you can get knocked down. He exalts you so you get to stay. This is good stuff. Years ago, uh, I learned something about this. Years ago, we were given some tickets, me and my daughter. Well, I was given them and I invited my daughter to go, go with me. Uh, to the baseball game. And um, I, I just thought they were tickets. And then on the way there, I looked down, and these are like $70 tickets in the 90s. I'm like, $70 for a ticket? Where's this at? We go into the baseball game, and I'm expecting nosebleed. I'm expecting way up there, because I've never sat at a baseball game anywhere other than nosebleed. <laughs> you know where they put me? They put me on that club level, where on that level, I had access to all the food I could eat come on, back in the back, they had chefs literally preparing food. So me and my daughter, we go back there, we get, every, I got, I got Chinese food, I got hot dogs, I got pizza, I got pop. I mean, I just like ate for like two and a half hours. I think there was a baseball game going on. <laughs> but I said at that level, now my expectation was nosebleed and I got that. But what would happen if I go to the game expecting to get that and what I get is nosebleed? I'm going to be sitting up nosebleed the entire time going, I can't blame this. This game is horrible. Right? What's your expectation out of life? Do you expect you to be awesome or do you expect God to be awesome? Humble yourself. Be humble. All right. Third, third. Um, share and care. Now, I got to explain this passage to you. Would, would y'all be all right if I give you a little bit of background here? All right. This is a patronage culture. 
we have a little bit of a patronage culture, but not so much like the Bible. Let me explain patronage, all right? A few people in this day and age were rich, only a few. Most of the land was owned by a few people and everybody else worked for those few people. So patronage meant that the very, very rich people who were the landowners who had all the power in that area, they took care of their patrons. And they were, those were people that like would show up to work and this would be the boss who made sure they had a job, except it was more than that. It, grain, uh, the provision of, of uh, clothing and food and housing and all those things were covered by this rich landowner. So all of the patrons honored the one rich landowner and the rich landowner would take care of the patrons. So then Jesus said to his host, verse 12, when you give a luncheon, or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So this is a patron culture and what you would think is I I am going to throw a dinner. I want people to invite me back. I'll invite people who can invite me back. Jesus says, no, invite and take care of people who can't take care of themselves. The lame, the crippled, the poor, the blind. We are blessed not so we can increase our blessing among our circle of friends. We are blessed so that we can bless people who cannot bless themselves. When we bless those who only bless us, it's sort of like the mob. Actually, the patron culture is sort of like the mob. Do you guys remember all that? They would have a mob, and the mob would protect the business. You, you grease our fingers, our hands, and we'll take care of you. We'll protect you. What happens if you don't pay your mob? Well, then you're not protected, and you get hurt. So that's sort of the mentality that goes on with the patron culture. It's you, you do for me and therefore I'll take care of you. And what Jesus is saying is no, 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 no. You do not use your position of power to get things from people. Use your position of power to give things to people. So we still have some of these mentalities. I heard a guy say one day, he walked into a restaurant and he said, when I walk into this restaurant, I look around and I see who in this restaurant could do something for me? And that's the person I'm going to go talk to first. But yet, how many times do we think like that? God spoke to my heart, said, you should call so-and-so. And I don't call them. You know why I don't call them? Because they're not going to do anything for me. Anyway, you should help somebody move. Why? They'll never, they never help me move. I'm not Anyway. Do you guys ever have these ideas and mentalities or is it just me? I'm the only sinner in the room, me and one other person. Praise God. Yeah. All right. So what is the gospel way? The gospel way is when you enter a room, you look for somebody that you can give something to that can't give back to you because in that way you're like God in heaven because God looks at you and you really can't give him anything. He gave you everything freely and that's God's way and that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to share and care. And listen to me, the racial tensions we have in America today and a lot of the other things we have in America today would be fixed immediately if we would learn to follow this simple truth of share and care. Number four. Oh, oh, oh. 
Ah, I'll tell that another day. Number four, stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he got all righteous and he said, blessed is the man who who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And obviously I'm one of them. (laughs) Notice how his voice changed. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, Jesus replied. So this was Jesus' reply to a guy gets to eat in heaven with God. He said, there was a certain man preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for now everything is ready. Uh, This is, by the way, there's a lot of social things going on here, a lot of things having to do with the culture. Number one, you send the original invitation, and then you, number two, you follow up with a second invitation. Then he says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go see it. No one would buy a field without careful prior inspection. And if by chance a man did this, there was no hurry. The field would still be there tomorrow. It is plain that the man just didn't want to come. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I must go try them out. Can you imagine this? I just bought a car and a truck and a tractor and a four-wheeler and a jet ski and I got to go see if any of them run. (laughs) No one would buy oxen without first satisfying himself that they would do the job. If he did, there was no hurry for testing. The oxen would be there tomorrow. And then the third one said, please excuse me. I just got married and I can't come. Now, this is the one that that picked out a spiritual excuse because in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 5, it says that you're excused in Israel from from serving in the military your first year of marriage. What would be the difference between a party and the military? Let me see. At a party, you might eat too much. In the military, you might die. (laughs) Little difference, maybe? Maybe. So this guy was using a spiritual reason why he couldn't go, but basically he was just saying, nope. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and the owner of the house became angry and ordered this servant. Remember, hold on, where is all of this happening? It's all happening at a very important person's house. At this very important person's house, Jesus is saying that the important people don't want to come. Because the important people are looking for reasons to accuse rather than to give life and care. And then he said this, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. The master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes. And I love this word, compel them. Do you know what compel them means? Can I show you real quick? Just show you. Help me here, cameraman. This is compel them. You ready? You ready? Compel them. (laughs) Thank you for letting me use you. I appreciate that. That's what compel means. It doesn't mean ask. It means grab them and bring them. Listen, we're in a world that says if you're a Christian, you can't tell anybody about your Christian faith. You can't tell them they're wrong. You can't tell them that God loves them. You can't tell them what the Bible says. That's not what God says. Do you know what God says? God says, go compel them because he wants his house to be full. He loves them. And the most kind thing you can do is to bring people to faith. One more verse for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Why do we do it? Because Christ's love compels us. Do you know, though, we make a lot of excuses and we tell a lot of excuses and we hear a lot of excuses. 
Years ago, I had a, a guy that attended church here. He moved to the other side of town, the other side of Cleveland. And somebody said something to him one day, and he said, just tell me I don't like ketchup. They said, what? He said, just tell me I don't like ketchup. Because he invited them to some, and they said, they gave some reason, and he said, just say I don't like ketchup. So why would, you, why would I say that? And he said, because one excuse is as good as any other excuse. It doesn't matter. I don't like ketchup's just as good as any other. Because if it's an excuse, it's an excuse. Listen, God is inviting us to participate with his kingdom. And through us, he is inviting others to participate in his kingdom. That's an invitation. And when you, listen, the invitation is not deadly. The invitation is life-giving. It's gonna chart, cause you to change the way you think. It's gonna cause you maybe to give up, some, y'all ready for this? Give up some stuff that's already killing you. It's going to cause you to admit you're wrong when you're wrong so that you can have peace with people you love. That's what's going to happen. And you know what our excuses are? You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what I like. I don't like ketchup. I don't like ketchup. Because any excuse is good as any other. You know, I'll follow Jesus when I'm older. I've heard people say that. When I'm older, I'll follow Jesus. I'm young. I'm going to go have some fun now. How about this one? When I get under this sin under control, then I'll follow Jesus. Or I'll read my Bible when I have time. Come on. How many of you know you never have time? Right? You do have time. It's toilet time. You just won't take it. Get off Instagram and read your Bible. Sorry. Did I say that out loud? I did. I I will serve someday when work lets up. Yeah, right? Work lets up. Uh, I'll give someday when I have more money. (laughs) No? I will forgive and love them when they come to me and apologize. No, no. They're excuses. The etiquette of the kingdom of God is this. Number one, you care enough about those, the one who invited you, that you say yes to his invitation. That's first of all. And second of all, you care enough about the people around you that you treat them with love and honor and do the right things. That's simple. So I want you to, if you would, bow your heads with me. I just have to ask a very quick question. If you're here or watching online today, in this room today, You're making excuses, making excuses, making excuses. God's invited you into his best. Come on, he's invited you into his best. Would you simply stop making excuses and receive his love and and receive him including you into his kingdom? If that's you and you would like to receive him, lift your hand. I want to pray with you right now. In this room, that's you. Yes. Are there others? Yes. Yes. Are there others? If you're online text believe to that number that'll be on the screen let's say a prayer everybody pray together let's pray together nobody prays alone at harvest ridge we're family all right you ready dear jesus i receive your invitation please forgive me of my sins and give me your life i give you my life now i take yours Thank you for your love, for including me. Fill me with your spirit. I will be your child. Amen.
you prayed that prayer and you meant it, guess what? God received you into his